Good morning. It's so good to be together on this Lord's Day morning. It's been a really beautiful weekend. I hope that many of you, like me, got a chance to get outside, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the beauty of nature in this wonderful state of Indiana. Some of you maybe uh, went hiking. That's what I, I did for a little bit. Some of you did some gardening. I know everybody in Indiana loves, they can't wait for the sun to come out so you can get to yard work. I never understood that until I'd lived here for a while and I realized, oh yeah, yeah, any excuse to get out in this sunshine is nice. Maybe some of you went fishing. I am not a big fisherman, but I, I fished a lot with, with my grandparents when I was younger. And I remember this one time, I must have been careless, because whenever I threw the, the line, somehow I remember getting the hook stuck in that part between my thumb and my finger. And um, boy, I just remember this sensation that if that line were to pull me any which way, I would go wherever it, it, it tugged. And... Maybe, maybe our spiritual lives sometimes, our emotional and our inner lives can be that way. I want to start a series this morning called Snagged. And in this series, we're going to deal with Bible answers to difficult attitudes and emotions that can, can get us snagged. If you've ever had certain things can grab a hold of you. And uh, just pull at you and you end up somewhere you didn't want to be. And the answer is not to ignore those things. The answer is not, oh, don't have emotions, don't have these responses to things. It's how do we deal with them? The Bible tells us how to deal with these challenging emotions and attitudes. And so this morning we're going to start, as Tommy mentioned, with getting snagged by worry. In 2005, after serving over six years of a seven-year prison sentence, a burglar out in Latvia broke out of prison. He only had 10 months left of his sentence, and he broke out. And he was free. He went, and he, he spent time with his girlfriend. He got an apartment. He had the life of freedom that surely he'd been dreaming about for six years but he said he was still imprisoned because he was always looking over his shoulder. Is somebody going to catch me? He was always worried, jumping at shadows. The anxiety became a prison all its own. And so whenever he surprised a bunch of the officials by walking into a minimum security prison and turning himself in. They asked why, and he said, as reported by CBS News, worry over being caught was proving too stressful. Worry. Worry can be a prison. <laughs> that was a story called Man Picks Jail Over Girlfriend. <laughs> But boy, it can start to be overwhelming to us as well, I think. I, I've felt that way. I've felt like worry 
and anxiety was just, was just oppressing and mastering and trapping me. And if you felt like that, maybe it's time for a spiritual jailbreak, a real one, breaking free. And Jesus, Jesus directs us to some answers. I think it's important for us to understand worry and anxiety, and we could spend a lot of time on this, but briefly, worry comes from an old English word meaning strangle, which is maybe appropriate because it can feel suffocating sometimes, right? And worry is defined as dwelling on our troubles. It's that unproductive fretting where we're just, we're just stewing on things and we're not letting them go we're just we're not doing anything about it we're just running it over and over in our minds and anxiety anxiety is a broad word that can mean a lot of different things in fact in the greek it's even broader as we'll talk about but anxiety can be a natural reaction to to stress it can be our body's way of giving us focus and a boost of energy i mean god god gave us the, the biology we have, and when things are functioning well, this can be a, a productive response, but uh, it can be destructive, as we'll talk about. So the Greek word for anxious that's used, for instance, in Matthew 6.25, where Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, or in Philippians 4.6, where Paul says, be anxious for nothing, can also describe healthy concern. In fact, in the same book, Philippians 4, that, or the book of Philippians, where Paul says to be anxious for nothing, he says in chapter 2, verse 20, that he hopes to send Timothy soon so that I may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word concerned is the same Greek word that Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Well, which is it? Is it a good thing? Be concerned for people's welfare, or is it a bad thing? Well, it depends on the context. There are different things that we're talking about here within this spectrum of concern and care and stress and worry and anxiety. When caring gives way to that fearful what-if collection that just has a spinning Worry is mastering our thinking. Mastering. You know, that prison, right? It's enslaving us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And in fact, Jesus talks in the verse right before, in fact, I think it's part of the same pericope, the same passage. In verse 24 of Matthew 6, he introduces the idea of anxiety by talking about masters and being mastered by someone other than God. Because worry can start to master us. Possessions and the other things we worry about can start to master us. So let's talk briefly about eight reasons that Jesus gives right here in this wonderful passage not to worry. And we'll use this as a way of reading through this important passage. Well, first, as I said, he's, it's because God is our only master. In chapter 6, verses 24 to 25, 
He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, therefore, as the old preacher says, when you see a therefore, check and see what it's there for. Therefore, so you got to look back to that verse to see. He's saying, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, which leads to the second reason that Jesus gives. Because life is about more than the stuff we tend to worry about. Life is more than what you're going to eat today. Your body is more than what you're going to wear. And if God gave the one, he'll give the other. If he's big enough and strong enough and gracious enough to give you life, he's gracious and capable enough to give you the things that will sustain it. That's Jesus' argument there. And then he reminds us of our value to God. And this is where he famously says, as he sits there on the mountain, hey, look at the birds. Do you see that? Now think with me about the care God gives to these birds. He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And here's the key. Are you not of more value than they? He makes the same argument, of course, about the lilies of the field that are arrayed better than Solomon. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God provides for birds? I wonder if sometimes we, we get so distant from the view of God that Jesus is describing because of we know, yes, God operates often in ordinary, regular ways with scientific laws and the birds are looking out for themselves in some ways. But Jesus is saying, God is the one really providing for them. You know, God is the one. No bird ever will eat unless God gives the life to bring about the seed, unless God provides it. And if we can get that, then Jesus wants us to think from the birds to us. The birds are his creature, but we are his children. cares about you and you have tremendous value to him this is so critical to the whole thing jesus says, are you not more valuable than they see god is not trying to to just give you a list of do's and don'ts he wants to take care of you he wants you to be healthy and he's telling you this is what god's law is this is the way to live and he's trying to bless us and guide us and show us you're so valuable to God. Also, where he doesn't do anything. You know, sometimes it can feel like a grown-up thing to do. Like, you know, we get so self-serious maybe and our, all of our important cares. And then you realize how little it actually accomplishes to sit there and worry about where the money for the mortgage is going to come from. It doesn't do anything. Jesus says in verse 27, 
kind of funny, actually. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And Jesus <laughs> uses length, you know, like cubits here to describe. Who can add? Can you take your lifespan and whatever the day you were going to die and say, I'm going to add about three feet to that? So trying to lengthen your life by worrying about how long you're going to live is like trying to speed up bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic by laying on the horn. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. All it does is illustrate how foolish the person doing it is, how, how helpless you are, how futile the exercise is. Fifth, because worry reveals a lack of faith. And this is kind of the, the crux of the whole thing. We'll talk about this some more. Jesus says, um, verse 30, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, and he says, O you of little faith. The Gentiles seek after all these things. And he says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You don't have to Send God the update on what your requirements are. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. If there are a hundred people here today, there are a hundred different situations with a hundred different needs, and God knows them better than you do. God is aware. We don't pray to update God. There's other reasons that we pray, as we'll get into. And because God will do his job. And you know what God wants us to do? It's kind of like a Bill Belichick saying, they always say it in the Patriots, do your job. If everybody does their job, then the football team operates right. Well, in the same way, God says, I've got a job and you've got a job. We get into trouble when we try to do God's job. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. Instead, what he says for us to do, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Here's what I want. Of course, make yourself some food. It's not going to automatically be produced in your body. Of course, do your work. But your real focus, unlike the things that the people of the world who think that the whole thing of life is just collecting stuff and keeping your life going, meeting your own needs, we have a much grander, more significant purpose. We're here for bigger things. And God wants us to have perspective and keep our eyes on what we're really here for, what we're really here to chase, and that is his kingdom and his righteousness. And finally, because today is the only time you can make a difference, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you have things that need your attention today. And when you get to tomorrow, God will be there waiting for us because he knew what was coming before we, we got to tomorrow. And tomorrow will have new grace to meet its needs. So that helps us to understand worry a little bit, but how do we deal with our worries? 
And there's different situations we might find ourselves in. For some of us, we might need some lifestyle solutions where we make changes to our crazy schedule or to our relationships or some of the things that are constantly causing real worry and anxiety in our lives. Some of us might need medical solutions. I mean, the, we're, anxiety is a biological response. When something isn't functioning well in any area of our lives, whether it's our eyesight or you know, the, the way that the anxiety in us works, there's no shame in having medical professionals help us out. And God has blessed us. In fact, that might be one of the ways God answers your prayer. But all of us need spiritual solutions. And that is what Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and all of the scriptures provide for us. All of us need to understand at the heart of the matter where we turn. The heart of the matter, as Jesus makes clear in that passage we just looked at, is to trust God with our cares. Worry and faith are opposed to one another. I mean, it's, it, it, faith has this power to, like, like that song we sang, Be Still My Soul, to, to let Jesus, as he did with that mighty stormy sea, say, be still. To know the winds and waves still know his voice that ruled them while he dwelt below. And, and my heart can be ruled by that same Lord. This lesson is not three simple steps to make sure anxiety never shows up in your life again. It's, there's, it's more complicated than that. There is, there is an ongoing human challenge that we will ongoingly face of these things showing up. This lesson is about what does God's word say for God's people to do whenever it does show up? How do we deal with it? It starts with trust. That song says, be still my soul. There's a, a wonderful passage in Psalm 34 that says, Psalm 43, be still and know that what? God is saying, start here. It's funny. We always want to start by doing something. And he says, start by doing nothing. <laughs> start here. Doesn't mean we keep doing nothing for our lives. We've got things to do. But he says, be still. And know a fact that you need to have in your heart. I'm God. Meditate on who God is and know, not you, and know he is the one that can actually rescue and deliver and help. There was this show that it was, it was a toy and it was a cartoon. It was actually even like a really bad Dolph Lundgren movie at one point when I was little called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And whenever He-Man had a problem, he would take out his sword and say, I have the power. I wonder 
if sometimes we get ourselves into trouble with anxiety because we think we're the masters of the universe. And we think that the way out of our problems whenever everything is too much to handle is to say, I have the power. And then we find ourselves not having the power and we don't know what to do about it. Would you be willing with me to step down as the master of the universe? <laughs> and no, God has the power. God has the power to save. God has the power to provide. God has the power to lead us and care for us in a way that only he can. Peter adds to this idea of trusting God with our cares the idea of surrendering them to him in prayer. Surrender. Like letting go of it. Just, just yielding it. Actually, he doesn't use the word surrender. He uses this other word. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word cast is used in the book of Acts whenever Paul is on a ship about to be shipwrecked and they're trying to figure out how do we keep going when they cast all the cargo off the edge in a, in a vain attempt to try to save themselves. Casting everything overboard. Are you casting your cares overboard? Are you throwing them down at God's feet and leaving them there? Or is it, is it like you try to throw it down and there's Velcro on it? You know, it won't go away. I'm just still thinking about it, thinking about it. I know this is easier said than done, but it comes from start with thinking about who God is. Prayer is not an exercise, like a, like a rote exercise of saying things. Prayer is approaching a person. That person is our God. And you need to start by thinking about who God is and knowing I'm talking to somebody right now. I'm not just saying words. I'm not just trying in a panic to get rid of these, these feelings. Whatever the result, God says, you need to come before me and cast your anxieties on me. I can carry them. Put them on my shoulder because I care for you. I love that. That's the last part of the verse. Why would I do that with God? Because he's so mighty. That's true. Because he said so. That's true. But that's not why he says. He says, because I am so invested in you. It's like when you, we, we got this new van used van, but we got this van a, a few months ago and it came with this great protection plan. So whenever there's a problem, I go in and I drop it off at CarMax and they take care of it. And I don't say, all right, you guys go ahead and work, but I'm just going to stand here and tell you how to, how to actually do it. I'm going to oversee this. Boy, nobody wants me to do that. <laughs> if you know, know me, you know. I am not the guy to fix a car. But that's what we do. We're just as unqualified as I am to fix that car. More so to do the things that God does. But we want to say, God, could you fix that? Now, let me tell you how to do it. 
Now, I'm not going to let go of it. I'm just going to camp out here overnight until it's done tomorrow. We've got to park the car and move on. Leave it with him. Now, you do your part. You have things to do. But don't do his part. Trust him. He's the best mechanic for your life you'll ever find. Then Paul adds to this idea of trust and prayer. He says, pray with thanksgiving. And we'll close by meditating on this passage here. Verse 4 famously says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. And then he says, be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Everything. He uses these different words for what to do. Don't be anxious, and here's what to do instead. When you start to feel anxious, and you start to see it, this might creep up, turn over here and pray and supplicate. These are two, just two different words that mean make requests of God. There is power in making requests. Again, God knows already, but he wants you to make the request and know that ticket has been checked in, that help support check ticket has been checked in with God, and he's got it, and he's, you can leave it with him. But then he says, with thanksgiving, an interesting thing I wouldn't have thought to put in this passage. It says, don't be anxious, pray, and be thankful and express your thanksgiving. Why do you think he does that? Prayer without thanksgiving is missing the proper posture. And thanksgiving is like, you ever take those, take two magnets that, and have the, the same side trying to put them together and you can kind of make it chase the other one away without even touching it. Gratitude and worry do not want to cohabitate the same space. Gratitude, you can test this. Gratitude, counting your blessings, really coming to God and saying, thank you for all the things that surround all of these issues that I'm praying about. And get specific. And do it with rejoicing in the Lord. That's part of this context. We're celebrating all the goodness of God. And that is part of the antidote. That is part of what God is saying to do instead of being overloaded by, by these anxieties. What we want is for the fruit of the Spirit to, to fill us. Or love and joy and peace and self-control and, and, and gentleness and kindness. All of these things to fill us. And, and worry can start to chase all of those things away. But we bring in prayer and trust and gratitude. And it starts to reshape all of that. So here's the big idea. He says, do these things. He says, don't be anxious. Pray 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. If you do this, this will happen. See, in Philippians 4, 6 to 9, peace isn't the command. Have peace. Make it happen. Push down those feelings. Pretend they're not there. Ignore your concerns and make peace happen, man. No, that's not what he says. He says, do this. This is your response to your anxiety. Is pray and give thanks implicitly to trust God with those things, right? And here's what's going to happen. If we pray our worries with thanksgiving, God's peace will station itself at the door of our hearts. It's called the peace of God that passes understanding. The world can't grasp, grasp it. You can't get there with the things that the world provides. And then in verse 9, he says, if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. This is the peace of God because God is the God of peace. It's who he is. It's in his very nature. Whenever you come to the God of peace, you receive the peace of God. And he uses this language. It's a military language. It's language Paul uses in 2 Corinthians to describe a garrison of troops that was guarding a gate. And he says, the garrison of troops at the entrance to your heart, keeping away all these thoughts and cares and making sure that peace still reigns is God's peace. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Boy, that last part is critical. In Christ Jesus. As with everything in Paul. It all comes back to being in Christ Jesus. The single most important fact about your past and your present and your future and all the things around you isn't your health condition or your family situation. It is your spiritual location. If you are in Christ Jesus, that tells you what you need to know most about your worries and your thoughts. When I think about this idea of God's peace stationed at my heart, for some reason, I always think about this time when I was like 11 years old, 10 years old. And we went in Washington, D.C. to the tomb of the unknown soldier. If anybody, any of you ever been there? What a serious thing to be in the presence of. This, this tomb of the unknown soldier representing all the soldiers that that have given their lives for this country and, and especially those who we don't know. We don't know their names. We didn't identify. I remember when I was there, you know, they do the marching and we saw the changing of the guard as they are changing. There's always somebody stationed there, always these military armed guards. And I remember somebody lit up a cigarette 10, 20 feet away. And I think the reason I remember it is because it scared me to death. This soldier started booming. Sir! 
Please show respect to this tomb. There's always somebody guarding the tomb. A sentry. And there is always a sentry posted at the door of your heart demanding the protection that comes from the peace of God whenever he is our Lord, whenever we allow him to be the ruler of our lives and whenever things start to, start to get shaky and those storms come in, we make it our practice with thanksgiving to pray, to cast them on the Lord and to give thanks. There's one instruction, one final piece of this that was seen in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And that's, Jesus says, here's what to respond to. Anxiety with is by what you're seeking. It's an attention shift. It's a recalibration of where your focus is. And it's amazing how much this can, this can change. But this is much bigger than just dealing with our anxieties, as important as that is. This is what will get us to the answers we need to live forever with God and receive his blessings. Are you seeking first, as in above all in your priorities, the things of God? Are you seeking to follow him? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ, confessing him as Lord and faith, repenting, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have, are you continuing to walk with him? Do you need to repent of something and make sure that your life is right with him? If there's some way that we can help you follow the Lord and draw near to him spiritually, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing.